What'd you do that for? I didn't see it there. It's a four-ton truck, Tyrone. It's not as though it's a packet of fucking peanuts, is it? It was a funny angle. It's behind you, Tyrone. Whenever you reverse, things come from behind you. Gangsters, pawnbrokers, and a boxing promoter try to find an 86-carat diamond in London. Special guest Eddie Perez-Cortez joins us to talk about saying the C-word at camp, what Brad Pitt has in common with Kenny from South Park, and the guns you can buy at Walmart. Then we find out if Snatch stands the test of time. Time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello everyone, for the 352nd time, welcome to the Test of Time podcast. I'm James Brief, and joining me as always is my buddy and pal, Alan Noah. Hi, that's me, and joining the two of us is our friend returning to the show, finally, it's Eddie Perez-Cortez. Welcome back, Eddie. Thank you so very much. Hello, everybody. It's been... About 210 or so episodes I've been on. There was a little bit of a global pandemic, I think, in between. Um, but we're not counting. No one's keeping score except for you. Who clearly you are. Oh, well, I'm keeping score a little bit. And and the, the record so far is usually following an awesome recording with you. There's a global pandemic. Well, not always. But well, we better hope this know. is not an awesome recording. Then. <laughs> it's basically coin flip uh, when you uh, when you come here if it's global pandemic or not. So. Maybe buy Zoom stock. I'm not sure now that you're on the on the podcast. <laughs> you were on for episode 108, which was scent of a woman, and then Hoo-ah! exactly, and then 141 for swingers. Hua. That was no, no, was no swingers. No, that was incorrect, James. And now for episode 352. For snatch, hua. No, no, you just stop saying that. But there was clearly a very, very long gap in between. You were asking to come back, and we had a tough time scheduling. And I'm sorry about that. But I'm really glad that you're here now. So welcome back to the show, Eddie. I am very excited to be back here. Um, before we get into the movie, obviously we'll talk about it in a little bit. But these three movies that I've done here now: Son of a Woman, Swingers, and now Snatch. For me, they all bring back those memories of college, of hanging out together with your friends. It's kind of a trifecta for me, if you will. And I can't wait for the fourth movie that we go over when you come back that also begins with an S. We'll have to find out which one that will be, (laughs) but yes. But before we started recording, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about Super Mario Brothers first? It's actually the movie we're reviewing next week, right, Al? Right, right. The 1993 movie. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Um, I really wanted to talk with you guys about it. One, because we all love video games. Mm -hmm. Um, Secondly, because my kids in particular, my dad as well, as you are, uh, Al, as you know, Mm -hmm. um, my kids are super excited for the Super Mario Brothers movie to come out. Right. Um, A few years ago for Halloween, we started to do 
family costume is much like your family. <laughs> yes, and, and, and you guys have done adorable family and costumes. We, thank you very much. And we, so we were the Mario family. Um, my son was Mario. My daughter was Princess Peach. I was Luigi. And my wife, also named Courtney, was uh, Rosalina. Right. Uh, which a lot of people walking around the neighborhood did not recognize her as Rosalina. They thought she was Elsa, the Ice Princess. But, oh, come on. Yeah, I know. I know. But I, there were a few tweens that recognized her as Rosalina and said, you're an awesome Rosalina. Okay. And I assume anyone that thought she was Elsa was immediately just like ostracized. You're not friends with that person anymore. Clearly. Good. Clearly. Okay. But so we're all very excited about Super Mario Bros. It's actually going to be my daughter has not been to the movies yet. My son went to the movies pre-pandemic. My daughter has not been to the movies yet. Wow. Um, so it's going to be her first movie experience, which is pretty awesome. Wow. She's a little bit nervous about Bowser. Okay. Because she doesn't like bad guys. But she's also super excited about Toad, about Princess Peach. It's going to be fun. Nice. James, I know you don't watch trailers. It's uh, common knowledge uh, for those of us who listen to podcasts often. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, <laughs> of course. Chris Pratt, who's playing the voice of Mario, folks do not like his Mario accent. And there is a rumor out there. I'm not sure because obviously we haven't seen the movie yet. But there is a rumor out there that it's sort of like a Mario multiverse. I don't know if you guys have heard this or not. No. So Chris Pratt's Mario is a parallel universe plumber who gets sucked in and becomes Mario into the Mushroom Kingdom. He's not the real Mario, but he sort of takes the place of Mario, who's off been captured or goes into another universe. And so that's why Chris Pratt is just playing his normal voice rather than the Mario voice, the traditional Mario Italian voice. Interesting. So from what I remember, the idea that Mario was from our world and then went to the Mushroom Kingdom, I believe that came from the Super Mario Brothers Super Show where Captain Lou Albano played Mario and I forget the name of the actor who played Luigi. Forgive me. I, I don't remember his name. But that was like the interstitials. And then there was the cartoon that took place in the Mushroom Kingdom. I don't believe that was ever canon in the video games. And then with Super Mario World 2 colon Yoshi's Island for Super Nintendo, I believe that was the first time when they sort of made it clear that Mario was from the Mushroom Kingdom universe, wherever it was, and this whole no, he's really from Brooklyn thing was kind of retconned away. But apparently in the new movie, which hasn't come out yet, he is from Brooklyn. And there was a whole thing about like in the trailer that they showed during the Super Bowl, like he's a Brooklyn plumber and there was a Brooklyn plumber website and it's a real website and a real phone number you can call so i guess they're kind of bringing that back but yeah i was kind of not clear about mario's true origins we're gonna have to watch the movie clearly to find out more about this but right if you see some of the trailers obviously james is not but if you see the trailers you can see that mario's learning all these things that have become sort of common knowledge to us like jumping on the different platforms and a platform falls and he doesn't realize that so he falls and right. he's got to remember this and princess peach is kind of teaching him so there is maybe some truth to this internet rumor out there but again we're gonna to have to find out interesting interesting so according to this 
internet rumor, the Mario voiced by Chris Pratt is not the real quote unquote Mario. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. And so then there will be another Mario voiced by a different actor in a sequel down the road? Or maybe towards the end of the movie that they rescue. I don't know. And it also could be all just rumor and speculation and Chris Pratt could actually be the real Mario. I mean, the thing that they've been saying is that Chris Pratt works as Mario because of his roles kind of in Guardians of the Galaxy, but really in the Lego movie where he played just an everyman and... That was why they cast him in uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie. I guess that works if he's not the quote-unquote chosen one, although in the Lego movie he was the chosen one, but also he wasn't. So I don't know. I wasn't that impressed when I heard Chris Pratt in the first Mario trailer that I saw, but also who cares? I'm still going to go see the movie. You know? Clearly, clearly. And, and the... The rest of the cast is phenomenal. I mean, Jack Black is Bowser. Yes. Charlie Day is Luigi. Right. Is going to be phenomenal. Anya Taylor-Joy is going to be Princess Peach. I mean, the rest of the cast is unbelievable. Super excited about it. My son is all into Mario. Loves all the Mario games. Uh, As I mentioned, my daughter, a little bit nervous about Bowser and about villains, Uh but also super excited because she loves princesses. She loves the Toads. Seen the trailers multiple times. I think it's going to be a blast. That's great. And I mean, the fact that it's going to be her first movie is, sorry, James, corny alert. But that's a thing that you'll always remember. I remember the first movie that my son Eli saw. What was was it? It was Monsters University. I remember him sitting in my lap laughing so hard that I was shaking because he was vibrating so much with laughter that I was vibrating and I will treasure that memory forever. So that's really adorable. That's like a special thing for yeah. her. Yeah. My son's first movie was Frozen 2. It was a great memory, just like just like yours for Monster University. Sure, 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 sure. But from Super Mario Brothers, let's talk about Snatch, the movie, to clarify. You mentioned earlier that this was a movie that you watched in college a lot. I had never seen it, but like, what is your relationship with the movie? When did you first see it? So it came out in the year 2000. Um, I think we got it on DVD my master's year, which is 2002. Very subtle way of throwing that in there. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) No, no, I liked it. I appreciate the the humble brag. It was great. We watched it on repeat that year. Um, Okay. And just the lines that are from it, uh, the witty banter back and forth with the quick dialogue became part of our repertoire that year. The movie brings back a lot of good memories for me. And when you saw Snatch, were you already a fan of Guy Ritchie? No, no. So Guy Ritchie's first movie, as most people know, is Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. I saw Lockstock after I saw Snatch. Okay. People were like, oh, you, you like Snatch? You've got to see Lockstock. Snatch, I had seen a number of times by then. And Snatch is the kind of movie that you begin to appreciate it more the more times you watch it. Lockstock, I saw it maybe once or twice, is a very hard movie to follow. The accents are way harder than in Snatch. If you think the the accents in Snatch are hard to follow, the accents in Lockstock, way, way harder to follow. Okay. Um, And the story just wasn't as gripping for me. All right. So, James, had you seen Snatch before? No, I uh, hadn't seen this, and I haven't seen uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. 
It's interesting. Uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had talked about uh, the early Wes Anderson films, and we saw Bottle Rocket and uh, Rushmore, and we had discussed. Um, you could see how the director had honed his skills as a director by by Rushmore. It was just a you know a very different kind of film, uh, and not not comparing better or worse necessarily, but just you've graduated here. Did you find that from Lockstock to uh, Snatch that there was that that was his discovery, and then here let's see what you can do with a budget of uh, this was about ten million dollars. This film, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think your point is spot on. Right, he he'd honed his skills to the point from Lockstock to Snatch. He also had that, you know, clearly the, the budget to be able to bring in some high named actors. Uh, Brad Pitt famously really wanted to be in this movie after he saw Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Um, he reached out to Guy Ritchie and asked him to be in this movie. This was shortly after Fight Club. He was a little bit worried about being typecast as a boxer. Right. But he still really wanted to be work with Guy Ritchie and be in this movie. And famously, Brad Pitt could not do a London accent. But he could do this pikey accent, right? Um, and so Guy Ritchie rewrote the the script with uh, Mickey as a pikey rather than as someone from London, right? Right. So that way Brad Pitt could do it and be unintelligible, and that was the point. So I had never seen this movie. I've never seen Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. The only other Guy Ritchie movie that I've ever seen. Can I guess? You can, and I'm sure you're going to guess it right. Sherlock Holmes. No. Oh. It was the Aladdin live action remake. I was about to say Aladdin. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is is really not a Guy Ritchie movie. Right, right. You sent a link to an article of a thing of like ranking all of the Guy Ritchie movies. And it specifically said that in that article that like, yes, Aladdin 2018, 2019, whatever it was, that is a Guy Ritchie directed movie, but not really. Like, it doesn't have any of his trademarks, apparently. Oh, yeah. The clear trademarks of Guy Ritchie, the quick banter, the the quick cuts, the slowing down, the speeding up of the camera, all those things that you've come to, that, that if you've seen many Guy Ritchie films, you come to know a lot of them in Sherlock Holmes, Lockstock, Snatch, all those things are missing from the Aladdin movie. I guess that was maybe just a movie he did... For the paycheck or for the opportunity to work with Disney and do like a big budget tentpole movie. And, you know, that's fine. I don't begrudge him for, for doing that. Who wouldn't want to make a, a big budget movie for Disney? And I think he did a fine job. Uh, you know, as as far as a live action Disney film is, the formula that, that we've seen, I think he did a fine job. And I had actually seen a couple Guy Ritchie films. I hadn't seen uh, Snatch. I've never seen Lockstock. Um, I've seen the Sherlock Holmes films. And those are definitely uh, stylish action. So when I saw this film, you could definitely tell it's that guy. He also directed uh, The Man from Uncle. Uh, mm-hmm. Did either of you see that? Uh, it's no. Army Hammer and uh, Henry Cavill. No, uh, I've heard good things about it, but I never saw it. Yeah, yeah, he directed that. I had I, I'd forgotten I had seen this other film. Um King Arthur, colon, Legend of the Sword. Holy shit. Uh, have either of you seen that film? No. Nope. Oh, my God. But now you kind of make me want to see it. I don't really remember what happens, but it's very supernatural. I mean, there's a supernatural element to King Arthur in general, right? I mean, like... Merlin. Yeah, like all of that stuff is kind of 
magic stone yeah yeah yes um i i suppose so yes so in general i give the guy credit he's done like very varying films he doesn't just have one kind of film he's done i've always been very curious not that i'm gonna waste my time seeing it but i knew he married madonna Mm -hmm. and that they famously did a film together that was like one of these famous flops called uh swept away right and uh I don't know if there's many uh, husband and wife uh, collaborations that that really work, but uh, that one apparently didn't. So in Snatch, there's a line when they're looking for the people who robbed the bookies, and they uh, get the guy from the street, and they bring him into the car, and they're uh, dragging him along uh, with the closed window, and he turns on the radio, and there's a Madonna song playing. Lucky Star. Yes. And Bullet Two Tony goes, oh, I love this song. As like an homage to Madonna. Right. And they were dating at the time and then they got married and then subsequently divorced. And maybe that was an expensive divorce and maybe that's why he took the Aladdin gig. Maybe. I don't know. That's pure speculation on my part. Maybe. Wait a second. You think Guy Ritchie had to pay Madonna? Sure. Everyone has to pay Madonna, motherfucker. I guess so. <laughs> That's how it works. Well, they, they had kids together, right? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. So there's kids involved. Because I would just say, if they were just you know splitting up, I, I would imagine Madonna is richer than him if she you know if she's managed her music catalog correctly. His last name is Richie James. <laughs> okay. I mean. It literally says it in the name. Good one, Al. That, that's, that's a very good one. Thank you. But James, why don't you tell our listeners what Snatch is about if they haven't seen it? All right. Um, Snatch is a movie about several criminals in London. It begins when a group of robbers steal a diamond from some Orthodox Jews and attempt to sell it on the black market. The diamond is then stolen by two small-time crooks, but it's soon taken from them by a gun dealer. Meanwhile, a crooked boxing promoter pisses off a crime boss and when he lets a fighter get knocked out by an Irish traveler. And to make things right, the promoter must get the traveler to throw a fight, but he refuses. In the end, a whole bunch of people are killed and the diamond is found, well, in the stomach of a dog. Right. So when this movie came out, how did it do at the box office? I didn't see it, but uh, uh, apparently a lot of people did. It opened on December 8th, 2000, very small, I think like 40 theaters, and then it opened wide on uh, January 19th, 2001. It had a $10 million budget. Obviously, uh, people were impressed and gave them a, a decent budget, and it opened at number four with $8 million, and it wound up making $30 million domestically, but $83 million worldwide. So wow. worldwide, this was a huge hit, and you know, after this, Guy Ritchie becomes a superstar. Eddie, did you see it in the movie theater when it came out? I did not see it in the movie theater. I remember seeing it on DVD for the first time, and I own the DVD. Okay. Um, I still own the DVD. It'll probably be the last DVD that I actually ever watch in a physical DVD player. Um, Now we've moved to streaming. Um, I had to go down to my basement, find the DVD, plug in my DVD player, plug in the DVD player to the Sonos soundbar to get the sound to work. Okay. That took a good five, ten minutes. And then watched the movie with the quality that was actually terrible because it was an old DVD, not a Blu-ray. And then reconnect everything at the end. When I asked you if you saw it in the theater, I immediately flashed back to our Titanic episode when I name-checked you, Eddie, about how we saw Titanic together in the theater on a double date that went especially terribly for me. Good it's, a fun, it's a fun memory, nevertheless. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so, so you saw it after... 
the theatrical run did like one of your friends like suggested or do you remember how you first came to see it? Yeah, I think my roommate at the time, Jamie, had it on DVD. Okay. And we watched it pretty much on repeat every weekend. Okay. What was it about the movie that kind of drew you in? A couple of things. One, the parallel storylines. I'm a big fan of parallel storylines in movies, in TV shows. Okay. Being friends for so long, I know you're not a fan of Seinfeld. But some of my favorite episodes of Seinfeld are when the two or three different storylines all come together at the end. And this movie has that. Two, the ensemble cast. These folks went on to do really great things. Jason Statham has had an excellent career. Vinny, Bluetooth Tony, has had an excellent career. Clearly, uh, Benicio Del Toro, sure. Brad Pitt, mm-hmm. um, Alan Ford as Bricktop. All these folks are great actors, and I love an ensemble cast. And three, the witty dialogue uh, that you get in British movies. So when you were watching this on your friend Jamie's DVD, did you have the subtitles on? No. That's honestly impressive because I tend to watch most of the movies that we watch for this podcast with the subtitles on just because like there's noise, the kids are running around, the dogs are barking, or even if I'm watching the movie at night alone when everyone's asleep, it just kind of helps me keep track of the dialogue. So that's just kind of a habit I've gotten into over 350 plus episodes of doing the podcast. But before I even pushed play on Snatch, I was talking with my wife, Courtney, about the movie. And she was like, oh, you can't understand what anyone says. And I was like, "Okay, well, I'll definitely have the subtitles on for this movie. And honestly, I don't know how I would have been able to follow it without the subtitles. I watched it without subtitles and I followed it okay. Uh, I mean, Brad Pitt was completely incomprehensible. It was still funny for me and I enjoyed his scenes because I don't think you necessarily need to hear what he's saying. The important stuff I actually noticed when he mumbles something, another one of these Irish travelers mumbles it back. Like, yes, he likes the penny winkle blue. Periwinkle blue. Periwinkle blue. blue. (laughs) Yeah, so someone else will say what he's saying. And And that's uh, part of the reason why I think we saw it so often too because we didn't have subtitles. We weren't watching with subtitles. And you would miss little things with each watch. And with each watch, you sort of then pick up on more and more and more things. And the movie starts to make more and more sense. I definitely had that thought. The second I was done watching this movie, I thought to myself, this is the kind of movie that I should watch again. In part because of the accents, also in part because of just there's a lot of characters and it's a big ensemble. I was like, if I watch this again, I bet there's stuff that I missed. Foreshadowing and little lines that seem innocuous at the time, but after you know what's going to happen are more meaningful. I definitely got the sense that this is the kind of movie that was made to be not just watched, but rewatched. And rewatched and rewatched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I certainly feel like I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage having only watched it just the one time. Um, When you were talking, James, about Mickey being incomprehensible, it kind of made me think of Kenny from South Park. I started rewatching South Park with my son, Eli, who's really into that show now, which also kind of makes me think of you, Eddie, when we were watching season one, freshman year in college, and that was brand new. And you and I just 
dying of laughter watching those episodes. But like everything that Kenny says, you don't understand it. And you can maybe sometimes kind of sort of get what he's talking about by context and from how the other characters react. Sometimes you just don't. And it's fine. You're able to enjoy the episode without that. After a couple of rewatches, you can pretty much pick up about 90 to 95% of the lines that Mickey says. Okay. But I believe that there's like one or two lines that are just completely incomprehensible, even to this day. And as Turkish says in the movie, it's not quite English. It's not quite Irish. It's pikey. And so apparently the term pikey is offensive, as is the term gypsy. I was doing a little bit of research about that today. I kind of wasn't sure exactly what pikey meant, but yeah, these are travelers or nomads who sort of wander around Ireland and the UK in the same way that gypsy is considered an offensive slur. Pikey is maybe worse than that? I guess so. The whole concept of British cursing and British slang is, I wouldn't say foreign to me, because I think that's maybe the wrong term, but... It's very different from American slang. Right, right. I mean, the C word is like thrown around everywhere in England and it means nothing. Whereas here in the US, that is like a horrible word. If you say that in public, people will gasp, actually audibly gasp when they hear it. But in England, it's just not a big deal. Apparently, that's not a big deal in Canada either. I had a friend who was Canadian who said that word all the goddamn time. But like, you don't say that in pleasant company. And apparently Brad Pitt was a little taken aback when he was filming this movie about how everyone was was throwing the C word around. And it's like, no, no, it's just a thing that we say. Yeah, uh, the camp I work at uh, the summers, there's a lot of foreign counselors and staff and they're from Commonwealth countries, you know, Australia, New Zealand, England, and they need to be instructed in very clear, very clear, the campers cannot go home speaking this word. Like, it is... Sorry, James, to be laughing over you, but that's just so funny to imagine like a meeting at a kid's camp where they have to say, okay, counselors, we don't say the C word here. That is too damn funny. Yeah, it's one of those things you might as well just say it and be like, look, I know at home, it's like saying the word asshole here. It's not that big a deal. And as uh, they say in Team America, it's only an inch and a half away. And, uh, (laughs) you know, it's close by. But here, asshole is, uh, you know, asshole is not a big deal. And, you know, see you next Tuesday is the closest you can say in America and not have a gasp. Okay, so... Eddie, you've watched this movie many times. You understand all of the intricacies and the ins and the outs of the plot, I assume, much better than I did. I'll be honest, I had a little bit of a tough time following everything that was happening. Yeah. Am I correct in assuming that by the, I don't know, sixth or seventh time you watch it, it's all crystal clear? Mostly crystal clear, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, I watched it this last Friday. It had been a while since I watched it, and it took me a while, a little bit to get into it. But once I get into it, you know, I was picking it up pretty clearly. I mean, at its core, it is two parallel storylines. There's two storylines going on. The first is a traditional heist storyline. It wasn't like a good heist movie where 
the main character, really there uh, being Benicio del Toro, mm-hmm. is stealing an 84 carat diamond. Maybe 86. I think they say both. 82, 84, 86, some, something around there. A big diamond. Yes. Um, he finds his diamond. He goes to Brussels and holds up a jewelry store, um, sort of like in the Diamond District on 46th Street here in, in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, and comes away with a beautiful stone, at least in the movie. It's probably not clearly not real, but in the movie it looks like it's a beautiful stone. Um, and then he goes off to London to uh, ultimately sell it and hopefully not uh, get into trouble. The other storyline is with Turkish and Tommy, mm-hmm. uh, Turkish being Jason Statham's character, and they are unlicensed boxing promoters. Um, and they have a boxer called Gorgeous George, uh, who is up and coming, and they want to get a uh, new caravan to do business out of. Right, like a like a mobile office. Like a thing. mobile office, exactly. Uh, so they go to the Gypsies, and that's where they that they meet up with Mickey. Mickey just happens to be, uh, unbeknownst to them, the Pikey or Gypsy bare knuckle boxing champion, and he punches out Gorgeous George. They have to switch boxers, and a whole bunch of. I guess you could say hilarity ensues, although it's more of a dark uh, hilarity in the context of this movie. Right. And I think in terms of like these two parallel storylines, I just wasn't sure as I was watching the movie, like who is the main character? And there's really not one main character. Kind of, it's maybe Turkish because he's the guy who has the voiceover, so maybe it's from his point of view, but really not because there's there's so many other characters and points of view throughout the movie. I was kind of surprised when Benicio del Toro was killed, I don't know, a third, third of the way in, yeah. yeah, and it's like just not a big deal, you know, like okay, he was a main character, yes, he's an actor you recognize. But he's dead. Forget about him. Now on to the next thing. And I did kind of appreciate that in sort of like this thing of like nobody is safe. Doesn't matter who you think is a main character, who you think is a big actor. Anyone can die and whatever. It's just, you know, on to the next part of the story. What struck me with this rewatch, and again, like I said, it's been a number of years, probably about 10 years since I've seen the movie end to end. What struck me with this rewatch was the number of guns in London. Mm -hmm. London, notorious, you know, fairly notorious for uh, obviously England not having a, a, you know, the same type of laws we have around guns here in the U.S., Second Amendment and whatnot. Right. Um, I was just shocked by the number of guns that were thrown around in London. Tommy had a gun at the very beginning. They make that very clear, kind of in the opening scene. Turkish sees it in his pants. He goes, who are you afraid of? Is he Germans? They, they bring up, you know, uh, Boris the Bullet Dodger, who sells the guns to all these guys. Benicio del Toro gets a gun. Uh, obviously, Boris the Bullet Dodger, then um, Bullet Tooth Tony has a gun. So it just the number of guns in gritty underground London was surprising to me. But I think that's kind of the point, though, is that all of these people are bad guys who need guns, and they all go to one guy, Boris, who is the gun dealer. That's true. As opposed to the U.S., where you're a bad guy who needs a gun, you can literally go to fucking Walmart and pick up all of the guns you need, 
Whereas in England, there's just one dude. Does Walmart sell guns anymore? I, I don't think Walmart sells guns anymore. I could be wrong. I thought they stopped selling assault weapons, but they still sell... Like sporting rifles? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I'm, I'm not totally sure about that, to be honest. Yeah, and another thing is that uh, there's a couple of the small-time crooks who don't really know what they're doing. Vinny and Saul and these guys, they don't know how to get guns. So uh, there's a great scene when they're trying to hold up uh, one of the big goons uh, played by uh, Vinny Jones. Yeah, Bulletproof, uh, Bulletproof Tony. And they're holding him up with guns. And he's like, yeah, he's so cool and calm. While three people are yeah, one of these. Tyrone is a huge guy. And he's holding a gun to him. Bulletproof Tony is just, he's just casually looking at him. I'm like, yeah, it says the word replica on your gun. So, yeah, I'm going to just like shoot you with my gun. It's a Desert Eagle. Back to language we were talking about earlier. They threw on the F word uh, in that scene. And that's a word where you haven't really heard or or I haven't heard in quite some time. That struck me as a little bit out of out of place in today's day and age. That was one of a few points where I was thinking back on my views and thinking back on how much time has changed over the course of my 20 plus years of having watched this movie. Can I also say about that scene, I love Vinnie Jones. He was in one of the X-Men films. He was Juggernaut. Uh, he was in Eurotrip. I didn't realize his first film was Lockstock, and that's where he was, quote-unquote, discovered in terms of film, but it makes sense that he was a professional football player, I, I, uh, you know, uh, soccer you know, in uh, Europe, and yeah, this guy looks like one of these rugby, uh, you know, European uh, soccer players, and I think it would be interesting to see him as not a scumbag. He's very much, he reminds me a little bit of uh, Danny Trejo, that, that same vibe, and he's just so cool, and I was really happy to see him in this and film. notoriously he was also been arrested a couple of times like for in real life on um, this movie one of the first uh scenes they shot with him was a stunt double because he was in jail that's amazing <laughs> wait though what was he in jail for because if he was in jail for like cutting the tag off a mattress or something that's less impressive. I think he was in jail for like starting some soccer hooligans or something like that. In my head okay. canon, it was, yeah. uh, it was uh, you know, a, a little soccer riot, you know, a little pub brawl, something like that. Okay. Yeah, he's in the tank for the night, you know. And also probably in England, they don't have the stupid mattress law. Probably. I'm assuming so. Okay, so one moment of the movie that I really enjoyed was the... And I'm making big air quotes when I say this car chase kind of scene, which is not a car chase because the three groups of characters that are all kind of in the same place at the same time don't know that they're in the same place at the same time. And they're not chasing each other, but they all interact with each other weirdly. And it's also cut together very, very well, I thought, yes. that, that particular scene, because the way it's filmed and the way it's it's shown to you, there's one car and then one thing happens and then you see another car from another angle and nothing happens. And then you realize that all three of these are happening at the same time. Right. Uh, so there's a character, Tommy. He throws a carton of milk out the window and you know, no big deal. There's another scene later where there's a guy driving and all of a sudden, a ah, big carton of milk goes on my, uh, my uh, car. 
Now, there's another part where there's a, a guy that's walking around. He's about to kill somebody, and he gets run over by a car. And it turns out he's run over by the car that had the milk splashed on it. So all of these different uh, you know, scenes are all you know, kind of interacting with the other storylines. And it was a fantastic, uh, fantastic scene. So speaking of uh, car chases and, and just getaway drivers, you have the character of Tyrone. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're first introduced but to the other two hooligans, Saul and Vinny. And they are going to uh, rob the bookies, rob Bricktop's uh, bookie shop uh, to steal the diamond because Benicio Del Toro has been sent there by Boris the Bullet Dodger to place a bet for him. And so Boris tells them to rob the bookies that they can take all the money from the bookies but leave the, the case that's connected to Benicio Del Toro uh, because he wants that. In order to do this, they need a getaway driver. So they enlist Tyrone. And the first time you're introduced to Tyrone, he is this big, burly guy walking around. And it's a great line that I, I forget which one of his Saul or Vinny goes, what the fuck can he get away from? <laughs> <laughs> right, because he is just a large person. And like they stop to get gas. They stop to get gas. And and we timed it. So when I watched this in college, sorry to interrupt you all, but when I watched this in college, we actually would time how long it would take Tyrone to get out of the car. It was close to 20 seconds of oh, film time to get out of the car. And it just exasperates that point. What the fuck can he get away from? <laughs> you know, I, one thing I loved, uh, there was an overall feeling that all these random guys that are held up by gunpoint, just tell me where the guy is so I can go to the next scene. I always got the feeling that... Um, Tony, Vinnie Jones' character, I feel like he executes every one of these people after he gets the information. And uh, we first see uh, Tony by slamming some guy's head in in a car. And I assume he's going to kill this guy. I mean, he's going to eventually snap the neck. And Boris is kind of killed by Tony. And Tony has wounded Tyrone as well. Tony's standing above Tyrone. I'm like, oh, no, poor guy. He's about to get killed. But before he kills Tyrone, he shoots uh, Boris, who's been called a bullet dodger. So Boris gets another couple rounds of his handgun and another and another another. And And all the guys saying, fuck you. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, Boris won't die. And uh, Tony keeps having to shoot him. And finally, it appears uh, Boris is dead. And he's like, Finally, and they just turns to Tyrone, and he just casually pulls the trigger to, to execute Tyrone. But he's out of bullets. He's emptied an entire clip into you know the injured Boris, and he just looks at uh, Tyrone, who he didn't execute, just goes lucky bastard, and he walks away. And I just thought that was it. Just made me laugh. Right. So Tyrone presumably lives throughout the course of the movie. Well, he was injured enough that he has not been able to move. So, I mean, he's, he's a big boy, though. So maybe there's a lot of padding if he was he's, shot in the abdomen. He's presum- he presumably does live because Bricktop uh, captures him and he leads them to the other two, Vinny and Sol. They were all three about to be executed by Bricktop and fed to the pigs right? Uh, as part of that famous scene as well. But... Soul says, wait a second, hold on. I know where this amazing diamond is. Give me 72 hours and I'll get it for you. And Bricktop says, I'll give you 48 hours. Go and go and find it. Right. And so this movie came out in 2000 and Hannibal came out in 2001. And 
the thing I remember about Hannibal was that Hannibal Lecter or one of his other bad guys was feeding people to pigs. That was like part of the movie. Mm. He feeds people to pigs and the wild pigs attack. I was just curious in terms of which came first. I guess this movie predated it by a year or so. So I guess it wins in terms of the screenwriter who thought of feeding people the pigs. That's right. Congratulations, I guess. So back to Tyrone, one of my other favorite scenes is when they get to the bookies and they park across the street. And the other two guys are like, there's a spot right there. What's wrong with that spot? And Tyrone goes, it's too tight. And then they say, you could park a jumbo fucking jet in that spot. (laughs) And then he backs up into it and crashes into the van that has Benicio Del Toro. And that's why they're not able to find Benicio Del Toro. They end up hijacking the place with somebody else that's not... Uh, Benicio Del Toro's character. Right. And this is a small detail, but they refer to the gambling place as the bookies, like plural. Not like the bookies place, but like the bookies. I guess that's a British thing. I think so. Okay. I mean, I get hung up on little details. I know you do. I know it's annoying and this is why I don't have friends, but I was just kind of wondering about what the fuck that was. But- I feel like we've covered a lot of ground with this movie. So, Eddie, let me ask you, do you think that Snatch stands the test of time? So this is a tough one for me. Unlike Scent of a Woman and Swingers for me, I went back and forth on this one for a couple of different reasons. One, they do talk about underground activities such as dogfighting. I think a lot of animal activists today would not look highly upon this movie. They talk about the cutting open the dog to get the, the diamond when they think that the, the dog is eating the diamond. There's also, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the reference to the F word. There and you were, don't mean fuck. Yes. Uh, the reference to the C word a couple times during this movie. In addition to that, this movie, I think, has a number of just sort of stereotypes throughout. You know, the hooligans are black. Um, I think if you've remade this movie today, you probably might not have it. You might choose different characters for that. There's not any real women in this movie either, aside from Mickey's mom. So those are things that stood out to me during this rewatch. Having said all that, I will still go a little bit on the side of this movie does stand the test of time. I think it's still excellent storylines, the interweaving storylines, which in my mind really hold up. Al, you sort of alluded to it. You know right off the bat from having watched this only once that watching it multiple times, you get more and more out of this movie. Sure. I think you do really, as I mentioned, you do really gain a lot from multiple watches of this movie. Um, The ensemble cast, the quick dialogue, all these things in my mind kind of tilt the scale a little bit more in the favor of standing the test of time. Yes, for you. All right, Al, what do you think? Uh, The first time you saw it, uh, were you impressed? Did you like it? And does it stand the test of time? So earlier, James, you mentioned the Wes Anderson movies that we recently talked about. And I was kind of thinking about this movie sort of in that context, because even though I'm not a Guy Ritchie aficionado and the only other movie I'd seen of his was Aladdin, I sort of got the sense from watching this movie And, you know, then from reading stuff online afterwards that Guy Ritchie has a sensibility. He has a style. He is 
an auteur like Wes Anderson, where you're not going to confuse a Guy Ritchie movie for a Spielberg movie in the same way that you're not going to confuse a Wes Anderson movie with a Martin Scorsese movie. They have their own things and signatures that make their style unique. And I am interested to see more Guy Ritchie movies. I do feel like Wes Anderson is more my jam, personally. Something I said about Rushmore is that like that movie has style and substance. I kind of feel like with this movie, Guy Ritchie is giving us a lot of style and not a ton of substance. Like there is substance, there is plot. In fact, there's maybe too much plot. The storyline is really convoluted And, you know, the old way that we used to do the podcast where we would go like through scene by scene and story beat by story beat. I'm very relieved that we're not doing that anymore because to do that for this movie would have been exhausting. It would have been a four hour episode. I mean, it would have just been really, really tough for all of us. Um, There's a lot of plot in here, but I also kind of feel like the plot doesn't really matter. It's not really about that. Like, who are the good guys that you're rooting for? I mean, there's a bunch of people that you kind of like. There's one villain. Clearly, Bricktop is the bad guy. You hate him right out of the gate. You want him to die, and he dies. Great. But, like, who ends up with the diamond? I mean, I would have been happy if it was Mickey, the Brad Pitt character. If Saul and Vinny had got the diamond, cool. It ends up being Turkish and uh, Tommy. Okay, neat. I'm not really emotionally invested in any of the characters other than Bricktop, who I want to die. Like, they're all good-ish, kind of. And it's fine. Like, it doesn't matter. That's not the point of the movie. It's about the world and the style and the dialogue and the quick cuts and all of that, which is really entertaining, which is fun to watch. And I think just sort of in general, the whole kind of crime genre isn't really my thing, you know, like gangsters and who's going to be the one left standing after all of these guys are trying to kill each other. It's just not my number one favorite kind of movie to watch. But I do think that there's really nothing about this movie that doesn't stand the test of time. It works now, I would assume, as much as it did in 2000. I am curious to watch it again and just kind of pick up on more stuff that I probably missed. So I will say that the movie does stand the test of time. James, what do you think? Um, One thing that I'd forgotten to mention that really goes in this film's favor is I had seen in the credits that this film was produced by my boy Matthew Vaughn. Do you guys know who Matthew Vaughn is? Yes, I do. And no, he is not your boy. Oh, he's my boy. He is the director of some fantastic films. Uh, He made Kick-Ass, which is now uh, time to review it. It's uh, more than 15 years old. And we should have your boy on to come and and, uh, be a guest on that episode, since you're clearly very close personal friends with Matthew Vaughn. When was the last time you hung out with Matthew Vaughn, by the way, James? I didn't say we're close personal friends. Said he's my boy. Well, that implies that you're friends. Uh, but he, he produced this film and he directed some some fantastic films. Uh, X Men: First Class, the underrated Stardust. Have you ever seen that film? 
No. Really? I mean, you're a big fan of uh, Princess Bride. Uh, it's a really nice film. Eddie, I thought it was very interesting one thing you said that didn't stand up, that in your opinion, you did say that some of the you know, bungling criminals, uh, the, I guess you call them the small-time crooks, they are played by uh, three black guys. But um, interestingly... One of the uh, small time crooks characters' names is Vinny. Maybe names are, are different in in England. I, I've never seen a, a black guy named Vinny. So I was actually thinking my first thought was, that's really cool of Guy Ritchie. This was probably a guy Vinny, you know. And this is the guy. I don't care what he looked like. It's like what Ripley. She was. It was supposed to be a man, an alien, but Sigourney Weaver. Sure, let's just call her Ripley. I was like, huh, they gave Vinny to uh, to a black guy. Good for him. I-, I have no idea. It's just interesting. We saw the same thing. I wasn't thinking too much of it. I only thought of it more consciously when, when you brought it up. Brad Pitt's character. It's so funny. He just does a great job. It looks like he's having so much fun. You know, this is not peak Brad Pitt, but uh, this is a guy who's, you know, he's doing Ocean's Eleven. He's doing like, you know, big, big films. And uh, the fact that he did this film, I think, is kind of cool of him. In the poster, he is standing in front of everyone. And I would not call him the star of this film. Uh, but, you know, you're going to put him on the film. It's probably what, what made this film, at least in America, part of the $30 million that it made. Let me give you this clip of Mickey talking. First, let me tell you what he's actually saying here. It's a scene where he's talking to uh, Jason Statham, who we didn't talk about at all awesome in this film doesn't fight at all um but this is uh mickey brad pitt's lines here he says i'll do you a favor you have to first bet if i win i get a caravan if i lose fuck it i'll do the fight for free now listen to the actual dialogue here i'll do you a favor you have forced me if i win i get a caravan and the buyers get a pair of them shoes <laughs> if i lose Oh, fuck it. I'll do the fight for free. That's awesome. I I mean, having uh, spent a good amount of time in Ireland, I will say that when you leave Dublin, closer to Northern Ireland, it is very different. I wouldn't say unintelligible, but there are definitely words that I didn't know what people were saying in the countryside. So this is that cranked up to 11. And, uh, you know, the, the film is just... I did enjoy it. I didn't understand it completely uh, while watching the first 15-20 minutes of it. And then I caught up and I would just recommend uh, using the subtitles because it was funnier, especially for Brad Pitt scenes. And the film holds up. I guess, um, like, not that crime movies aren't my cup of tea, but, like, maybe I should see Lockstock and uh, watch a couple of these other ones. Um, And I enjoyed it, so I would say, yeah, it does stand the test of time. Taking that scene a little bit further that you just uh, referenced with uh, Mickey and we just heard, just after that, he starts talking about the type of caravan he wants for his mom. That scene is completely unintelligible. That's where Turkish turns to Tommy and goes, let me confer with my colleague for a second. He goes, did you understand one word he just said? It's one of the best lines in the movie. Oh, yeah, it's fantastic. You also mentioned we did not talk about Jason Statham. I do think we should spend just a minute talking about Jason Statham because I think you're spot on, James. The fact that this is Jason Statham pre-crank, pre-transporter, pre-also the Fast and Furious Furious films. Al, you you sort of alluded to it. Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? It doesn't really matter in, in terms of his characters. He's one of the only characters in the movie, though, that does not have a gun. 
and it's Jason Statham. Jason fucking Statham does not have a gun. He doesn't kill anybody in this movie. That's pretty impressive. I don't think I've ever seen Jason Statham in any other movie ever before this. I mean, I know who he is, but I'm pretty sure I've never seen him in anything else. You guys are both looking at me like I am an insane person right now. What other movies has he been in that I really need to see? Did you see The Italian Job? That, that, that was a heist film that, that was pretty popular. The Italian Job, The Meg, Fast and Furious, no. The Expendables was a movie that I wanted to see for a long time and then just never got around to it. It holds together, Al. You're the one that said that uh, The Rock doesn't stand the test of time, so it stands up. I mean, that movie's garbage. Are you saying that Jason Statham is only in garbage movies? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> they're then- garbage movies, but they're also fun. Okay, but he also is in other Guy Ritchie movies like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, which kind of brings me to a question I had for you, Eddie. Having seen Snatch and liked it fine, but, you know, wasn't in love with it, should I see Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels? Like, I've read that, like, Snatch is a better movie than Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. So if you liked Snatch enough, I would give it a try. If you were just sort of mediocre about Snatch, which it seems like you kind of are, yeah, I would pass. Okay. Snatch is the better version. Snatch is the much better version. I mean, on the list of like best Guy Ritchie movies, Snatch is towards the top, arguably. Lockstop is still up there, but it's it's a lesser quality movie. Yeah, the, the link that you sent had Snatch as number one. I forget where Aladdin was. It was somewhere kind of... Uh, I think in the middle-ish, but, you know, not uh, his top three or top five, I don't think. And he's done other gritty films, uh, Rock and Roller, uh, Revolver. If you want something very witty, but it's not uh, its not from the criminal's point of view. Uh, I mentioned before The Man from Uncle. Uh, that, that was a good film. I believe that is pronounced The Man from U period, N period, C period, L period, E period. Um, that's how they say it in the film over and over. And it's actually quite annoying that they, you know, someone in the end goes, why don't you just try uncle? And then they go, oh, and then the movie ends. No, then they should say, who's the aunt? And then look directly at the camera and then it zooms in and it goes, da, 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 da. And then the movie ends. Or it actually, what it should do is it should zoom in and act like it hits one of them in the head. And he goes, ow, zoom in too much. Then they back off and then it goes, one last laugh before you leave. No, no, mine was way better. Okay, yours was a way better version of the man from Uncle. Yes. All right, so we all agree that Snatch stands the test of time. Snatch the movie, not the slang term, by the way. The Guy Ritchie movie, to be clear. Was there another movie? There's probably a porn movie called Snatch. I don't know. You're going to Google it right now. You should probably Google it on incognito mode. I I, I won't Google that, but I did have the tab open for Snatch the movie. And it says at the top, you know, the little disclaimer in italics, it says not to be confused with Snitch film or Snatched the 2017 film. Apparently there was also a TV show that was based on huh. Snatch. And Rupert Grint was the uh, star. Oh. Ron R- Weasley. Ron right. Weasley. Right, 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 right. Uh, which did two seasons in the UK, which is the maximum number of seasons that is possible for a British TV show. Yeah, yeah. Longest running series in British history. Right, exactly. <laughs> they're, they're all tied for two seasons. Well, it's two seasons and then Doctor Who, which is like 78 seasons. Actually, they call it series. Two series. 
They don't use the word season. Mm. Eddie, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's been a great time. I had so much fun with you guys. Let's try to make it 250 episodes next time before I come on again. No, 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 no. Let's let's keep it far less than that. This has been way too long. You're welcome anytime you want to come back. Are there any other movies you remember from college that you would want to discuss? I'll have discuss? to think of another S movie. Okay. All right. Think on it. Let us know. Take your time. Not that much time. You have an open invitation. Eddie. Thank you so much, guys. It's been a real pleasure. Eddie, thank you again for joining us. Next week, we are going to be talking about the movie that we started this episode talking about, Super Mario Brothers. Although, not really. We're going to be talking about the 1993 version in honor of the new 2023 version. Bob Hoskins, John Leguizamo, Dennis Hopper is in that movie. That will be a interesting movie to revisit. I don't know if I'm going to say fun, but it will be fun to talk about it at least. I'm looking forward to that. As always, we want to hear from you guys. We are at Tested Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Write to us about your favorite Guy Ritchie movies, your favorite Snatch characters, your favorite indecipherable Brad Pitt lines. And uh, we will see you next week, everybody. Bye. Bye.